Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and this is day 640 of our three-year journey through God's Word. 640, that seems like a pretty big number, but uh, it's been a wonderful journey so far, and I hope that you've been learning much, and let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we go to Nehemiah chapter 5, and Nehemiah has to step in on behalf of the poor and right some wrongs with the justice in Judah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good to us. You do not treat us as our sins deserve, but you treat us with loving kindness and faithfulness because you are good. Not because we are deserving, but because you are gracious and merciful. And we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can spend time in your word. We ask that you would teach us from Nehemiah 5. Challenge us to examine how we live our lives in light of your word. And to reform by your word, by the power of your spirit working in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as our, are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. 
And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table a hundred and fifty men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. That is Nehemiah chapter 5. There was a very famous Enlightenment philosopher named Machiavelli, who wrote a book called The Prince. And Machiavelli was an innovator of his day because The Prince was a tome that was written to advise rulers on how to rule over their people in a way that paid no regard to morality or religious obligation or the fear of the Lord, but only considered pragmatism, only considered what's going to work to strengthen the hand of the ruler and to strengthen his rule over the people. And so one of the things that Machiavelli advised in The Prince was that the ruler not take it upon himself to provide for the needs of his people, that that should not be any part of his obligation to his people. Because if he starts feeding the hungry and clothing those who are destitute, then he will soon be bankrupted and the entire kingdom would collapse. This becomes a practical approach to politics that has no regard to religious duty or morality. Later, in the 1870s, Otto von Bismarck would rise to become the first uh, chancellor of Germany. And he practiced realpolitik. And realpolitik is a German word that basically means the politics of realism. We're going to work in a way that's realistic and not a way that's ideal. I'm giving this history background because we live in a day and age where Christians largely have stopped thinking in terms of how the Bible would oblige governments to care for those who are under their leadership. And they've largely just thought, well, you just have to do what works. You just have to be practical about it. And that has extended to like how we as Christians, who are fairly wealthy in the scope of the world today and history of the world, we are fairly well off as Christians. And we have basically said, well, I'll give to the church that, but then what I do with my money is up to me, and I'll do what I want with my money to be able to make sure that I can provide for my family 
the vacations we want, the retirement we want, the house we want, the cars we want. And I'm not really going to think about what my obligation might be to directly help my Christian brothers and sisters who are in need. Now, that's a little bit harsh and sweeping. Not everybody thinks that way. But we do know that, you know, compared to a biblical standard, which would start with a tithe to your local church of 10%, and then generosity to the poor and to the needy, um, taking care of the needs of those around you would be on top of that. We know that compared to that, American middle-class evangelical Christians do not do a very good job of being generous at all. And here, Nehemiah runs into a situation after they have reestablished the wall and he's administering things and he's serving this 12-year term as governor uh, over Judea. And he finds out that the wealthy, the noblemen, the landowners, those who are at the top, are exploiting the poor. When they see someone who's destitute, their first thought isn't, what can I do to help them get back on their feet? Their first thought was, how can I use this advantage to make them in debt to me so as to enrich my status and my position over them? So yeah, they would lend them some money so they could pay the king's tax, or they would give them some food so they could feed their family, or they would give them some clothing, but they would charge an exorbitant amount of interest, even to the point of requiring that the children of the family be sold into slavery to pay back the money plus interest. They were getting wealthy off of the famine and the hardship of their brothers and sisters within within God's people, within the church. That's wrong, right? That's just wrong. And so... Nehemiah gets very angry about it. Like, there's no mincing words here. He's very angry. He immediately brings charges. He immediately holds a great assembly against them. And we and he and he basically says, There's no excuse for what you're doing. And that's because the standard of God's law was very clear. You do not charge interest, and you do not take as a pledge on a loan something that your brother needs to live. So the law spells out this in detail. You don't charge interest on money that you lend to one of your brothers and sisters within the church, and you don't take from them as a pledge something which they need to live on. You simply lend them the money with the understanding that they're going to pay you back when they're able at no interest. Now again, it's not giving them money because there's a whole study that's been done on the other side of things Uh, The books Helping Without Hurting and When Helping Hurts, which are excellent books that Brian Fickert and uh, the folks at the Chalmers Center down at Covenant College have done really fine work on researching the reality that if you just give money without any expectation of being paid back to people who are poor, all you do is further the cycle of poverty because what you do is you, you teach them that they are not capable of taking care of themselves and their family but they must be dependent upon others. So you teach them a dependency mindset that is dehumanizing. So so there's two extremes, and I think both of them that we see very commonly in the world are both unbiblical. The one extreme is predatory lending, you know, predatory practices that say, here's someone who's in trouble. You know, if you go to certain places, you know, lower income uh 
areas of the country, you'll see a lot of title loan and a lot of uh, those kind of pawn shops and things like that. And what those, those are basically predatory institutions. A title loan, you get a loan on the title of your car because most people uh, who are customers for that don't own their own home. And the interest rate is very, very high. And if you don't pay it back, your car gets repossessed. And so now you don't have anything at all, right? Pawn shops are notorious for undervaluing what you bring into them, or they might lend you some money, you know, against the item as collateral, but it's an exorbitant interest rate. That's predatory stuff. And on the other side is just sort of the welfare state mentality. It's like, well, just give them and give them and give them and give them rather than teach them and and help them. Help is neither a handout nor, you know, um, an extortion. <laughs> help is help. It's lending. It is uh, giving opportunity. It is empowering. And that's what Nehemiah is arguing for here. Now, people who are truly destitute for a short period of time, he does feed them from his table and he does provide for them in a generous way, but it is just until they can get on their feet for a short period of time. And the big thing is that when you help someone who's poor, because you're trying to help them to a tough spot, you're not doing so with a goal of how can I make myself rich? You're doing so with a goal of how can I help them in a way that's going to respect their dignity as a human being made in God's image, and that's going to actually help them get back on their feet to a level of self-sufficiency as those who are image bearers of God are, are, are created to work and to be able to earn a living. So there's a lot of biblical wisdom here in Nehemiah 5 that would, that would cause us to pull away from various things in the world and how the world approaches uh, poor people. And we should have a biblical approach, which is neither dehumanizing, um, you know, over charity by like giving people into a constant state of dependency, nor is it extorting from them. The Lord Jesus showed us how to do this when he was here on earth, and that is he did feed people when they were hungry. But when people were looking for a continual handout, like read John 6, he feeds the 5,000, but then it becomes very clear that the people are just going to be looking for a continual handout from him, like free food every day, and he won't give it to them because he knows that would be dehumanizing to them. But people who are disabled, who are blind, who are lame, who are demonically possessed, he sets them free so that they are able to stand on their own two feet and to live as God intended them to live. So that's the biblical call that Jesus models for us, setting the captives free, empowering people to be able to provide for themselves and their family. May the Lord give us wisdom and faithfulness in these areas. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for your word that is full of rich wisdom for us. Help us to walk in the wisdom of your word and not according to the so-called wisdom of the world, which is really just selfish foolishness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Nehemiah 5. Tomorrow, of course, we're going to be going right on to Nehemiah 6 and there's kind of this back and forth, like we see good progress and then opposition. Good progress and then opposition. So chapter 3, good progress. Chapter 4, opposition. Chapter 5, good progress. Chapter 6, hmm, Samballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab are going to raise their heads again. Well, that's for tomorrow. Have a blessed day in the Lord.